With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the Yahoo Sports NBA Podcast. Hosted by Chris Mannix. From interviews. Let's bring in John Wall. He's Reggie Miller. Bring in Eric Spolstra. To the latest NBA news. To insights you won't get anywhere else. Rioting is bad. You shouldn't riot. Past episodes of the podcast can be downloaded in the iTunes Store and Google Play. Why wouldn't you go back? Subscribe and leave a rating or comment. Here he is. Speaking of guys putting their foot in the road. Chris Mannix. Yes. All right, joining me on the podcast this week, my former colleague at Sports Illustrated. You've read him in the pages there, the Boston Globe, NBA.com, and you can read his newest work, uh, The Soul of Basketball. It's a great book. It's out right now. You can buy it on Amazon. Go to Barnes & Noble. People still go to bookstores, right, Ian? Like, they still yeah, I, pop in? Yeah, I do, and I see other people in there, so I think it's doing okay still. Okay, it's there not, you go. Go there. I, go do, to, I don't go to Tower Records anymore, but I do go to bookstores. Are there Tower Records and Newbury Comics? Those are the ones I used to hit <laughs> yeah. I don't think... Well, I know Newbury Comics exist on some level. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they're still in malls and stuff. Yeah. You know, in real malls, not like... Not like a Simpsons mall where they sell left-handed scissors and everything. Different, it's a real mall. Different animal. Also go to uh, ianthompson.com. He's got the book available there. Also has a terrific interview with Doc Rivers, who's a big part of this book, uh, The Soul of Basketball. We were joking, Ian, on the elevator ride up. We're recording this inside the TD Garden um, today. And I remember you talking about doing this book all the way back in 2011. It's a, it's a book largely about that. 10-11 season, yeah. and I remember you talking about, like, you're going to write a book on this, and yeah. only, what, six, seven, seven years you got it, you got it through there, seven years after? Yeah, when we were talking back then, it was going to be done in a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really, really was. <laughs> but then uh, I, I tried to tell a bigger story, and it took longer to do, and then there's also the part of it where it's not a book just about LeBron, it's about all these guys who beat hard lessons into LeBron. Whether it's Pat Riley, Dirk Nowitzki, Kobe Bryant, all these different guys, Doc Rivers. But it does revolve around LeBron. And 
if it if it's going to revolve around the guy, you can't tell the story. You can't make people believe in the story if they don't like him. And it almost needed to be put on hold until he really redeemed himself, until mm. he went back to Cleveland. I didn't know how, how it was going to happen. I had faith it was going to happen. He's just so great that he wasn't going to be the villain forever. And then when he went back to Cleveland and he won the Game 7, I said, okay, now people might buy into the story. They might, might have respect for him. Even people that don't like him, they have to respect him and how far he's come. And this is, a, this is a, in part a story about how far he's come, about a young guy trying to figure out who he is and who he can be and using basketball to figure that out. And all the people in, in this book do that. They all sort of live the American dream through basketball. Did you, as you were kind of going through that 10-11 season, I mean, the, the genesis of the thought of the book, was it you just something you were seeing during the year? Was it something that happened after the season that it occurred to you? What was it? Actually, during the season, uh, Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, they reached out to me and asked me to do a book <clears throat> on the NBA that had to do with LeBron because it was such a huge story and it, it seemed to be changing things. And my first thought to them was I would like to do the book, but I want it to be about trying to identify the the meaning of basketball itself because we know what we know what the other sports are, but we don't know what basketball is. Like we know baseball is the game of summer. Like Americans know that and they know football is the game of war, but basketball is such a young sport. And the NBA is such a young league that it doesn't have that kind of identity. And if you ask people what, okay, baseball's peace, football's war, what's basketball? They probably say, well, it's the black sport. That's sort of what it's become known as. And to me, that's just wrong. It's, it's a sport that's, uh, that's colorblind. And it's, it's American in the sense that the same rules apply to everybody on the court. And it should have nothing to do with race whatsoever. It should be way beyond that. And so that, that also is why it took me so long, because I was trying to get to the bottom of that. The, um, the anecdote that, that first came out was your interview with Pat Riley uh, about LeBron and leaving. I ironic, even seven years later, we're still talking about LeBron and the heat and, and what happened down there. Um, just, just recap what Riley said to you about you know his, his the end with LeBron James and did what he say jump out at you right away? Yeah, and it was it was at the end of our interviews and um, you know he 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 thinks very highly of LeBron and he says he holds no grudges and I believe him. The only thing he didn't like about his association with LeBron was the way it ended. And he felt disrespected by the way it ended. And he went in for a meeting with LeBron. And this had come out earlier. He went in for a meeting with LeBron and his guys. And they were watching a, a soccer match in the corner and not paying full attention to Riley. And he knew it was over. And and yet at the same time, when, Le when he's watching the NBA Finals in 2016, LeBron's with Cleveland, and they've come back from a 3-1 deficit, Game 7's in Oakland. Riley finds himself pulling for LeBron, and he waits until the game starts to send a text message. And it's going to be the first time that either one has reached out to the other since LeBron left, and he sends the message, win and be free. He wants LeBron to win this and put all the past behind him, all these years, the decision all the years when he was supposed to be the next Michael Jordan and failed to do it, all the years when people talked about him running out on Cleveland, he wants him to set the record straight 
and so he can he can move on with his life and and in the book pat goes into real detail like it's his own team about uh, lebron's block of iguodala and how clay thompson maybe could have broken it up and stopped it from happening but it's it's one of the great plays in the history of the league and I think that play also says a lot about LeBron, that he's much more than Michael Jordan. He was always supposed to be the next Michael, but I think that's always going to go down as the signature play for LeBron, and it wasn't a jump shot. It wasn't a dunk. He was always more than, He's always been more than that. He's always been about the pass, about doing everything, playing every position. and So it all sort of comes full circle at the end. You know, LeBron is always going to be – his exits are always going to be scrutinized, and, and certainly he could have done things – a lot better, especially the first time around with the decision he's acknowledged as much. I mean, do you think there is a, a kind of a graceful way, as we approach another summer where LeBron yeah. could make an exit, is there a graceful way for LeBron to to exit a team? Because whenever he leaves a situation, it so dramatically changes the situation. Yeah, because he's so important and he just leaves this gaping hole. Like when Michael Jordan retired from the NBA, he left a gaping hole. Well, LeBron does it with the teams that he leaves. He left Cleveland, and they went from first to last. He left Miami, and Pat Riley was personally offended by the way he left. If he leaves this time, I'm sure he's going he's gonna to do it with all of the class he can find within himself. He's learned from the mistakes. And also, he'll be able to tell a story. Look, Mission accomplished. I, I delivered the championship, and I did it as an underdog against the winningest team on the road, coming back from 3-1. I outwitted Draymond Green to get himself kicked out of the finals so we could get back. I mean, he'll be able to go over all that stuff. And sure, people will be upset for a little while, but when he's retired – they're not going to remember if he leaves this summer. They're not going to talk about that's not going to be part of the story when he retires in Cleveland. They'll be talking about the championship and that that he he fulfilled his promise to the city. Devil's advocate, because I mean personally, I LeBron can do whatever the hell he wants. <laughs> he wants to yeah. go sign on with Golden State, whatever. We've already seen you know guys you know go that route. But is there a measure of hypocrisy to? I mean, the letter stands out to me like. I want to be this role model for kids in the Akron area. He certainly sounds like in that letter that he's committing to Cleveland for the rest of his career. Now, I agree with you. The championship gave him kind of his his exit, so to speak. But is there any kind of hypocrisy there in him staying, what, the exact same amount of years he was in Miami, the last four? I, I don't see it because, um, I mean, it's a great question. And everybody will be asking it if he goes. But I, I see a guy that really recognized the errors he made and really wanted to make it right and did. And he not only won that championship for them, it was one of the great performances we'll ever see, one of the most inspired performances we'll ever see. And, he, and the real connection between an athlete and a city that is really rarely found today. So I just don't see how um, it will be viewed that way. The way I view it is we're at the point now, to me, there's three great players in the history of the league. It's Bill Russell, and chronologically, Bill Russell, Michael Jordan, LeBron James. And 
this is a guy that played all 82 games and led the league in minutes and, and for long stretches was playing the best basketball of his career, like unbelievably good basketball. So he owes it to himself and he owes it to the game to see how good he can be and see, see how many more championships he can win. And if they can't, if, if, it, if it isn't there for him in Cleveland, then I think he's wasting his opportunities, his career by staying there. He should go wherever there is the best chance for him to win. And there's a lot of different things that will influence that kind of thinking. But I, I think it would be wrong for him to stay if he thinks that's not the place where he can win. He has to go somewhere where he can make the most of his talent because for all we know, we'll never see a player as good as him again. As we speak now, uh, Cavs are in a dogfight with Indiana, trying to get out of that first round. Uh, people ask me this all the time, so I'll put it to you. Gut feeling, do you think he stays? Do you think he goes? I think he goes, and I think he gets the NBA Finals, and I think he goes. <laughs> That's what I think. Um, Philadelphia is just such an obvious destination, and they can – they're close to having the cap space right now, and they could get it if they want it. And why wouldn't they want it? And I hear people say, well, you know, he would hold back their young players. He'd hold back Ben Simmons. LeBron's going to know if he goes to Philadelphia, for instance. Who knows what he's going to do? But if he goes to Philadelphia and it doesn't work out, who's going to get the blame? It's not going to be Ben Simmons. You know, <laughs> He knows who's going to get the blame. And he knows how to win. And he knows how to bring out the best in these other guys like he did for Kyrie, who never won anything, and then was able to win. And he put Kyrie in the position to make the last shot in that game seven. If, if this was a selfish player we're talking about, Kyrie doesn't get to shoot that shot. LeBron's taken it for all the glory, but no. So I, I think if he went to Philly, he would make sure he was going to win. If, if the Lakers are able to sign someone else and he thinks they're the best basketball situation, then maybe the Lakers. But he's not going to go there because he has a house. I mean... It's not like you or me. Oh, I have this house sitting there and I have to use it. I mean, LeBron can own 100 houses. He's not going to go because he doesn't like renting it out and it's such a pain in the butt. Airbnb that place. Exactly. Exactly. He's not, and and he's not going to go somewhere because he wants to get in the movie business. He's got plenty of time to do that. You can tell by his commitment to basketball and how smart he is with the game and everything, how important it is to him that basketball is not going to be the secondary consideration. Today's episode of the Yahoo Sports NBA podcast is brought to you by Away. Away was founded by two friends from New York who found themselves at JFK with dead phones, delayed flights, and a bright idea. Luggage with power. Thus, the Away carry-on was born. It really is the perfect luggage. Inspired by true travel stories, they asked thousands of people how they pack, why they travel, and what bugs them the most about their luggage. Then they designed a bag that solved a few old problems, like the sticky wheels, and a few new ones, too, like dead cell phones. Away uses high-quality materials while offering a much lower price compared to other brands by cutting out the middleman and selling directly to you. You can choose from a variety of colors and four sizes, the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, or the large, which people use for extended stays. All suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate, unrivaled in strength and impact resistance. It's also very, very lightweight. The interior features a patent-pending compression system, helpful for overpackers. Four 360-degree spinner wheels guarantee a smooth ride. TSA-approved combination lock built into the top of the bag to prevent theft. And a removable, washable laundry bag keeps dirty clothes separate from clean. 
Both sizes of the carry-on are able to charge all cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything else that's powered by a USB cord. A single charge of the Away carry-on will charge your iPhone five times. And added bonus, there's a lifetime warranty, so if anything breaks, they'll fix it or replace it for you for life. Away also offers a 100-day trial. Live with it, vibe with it, travel with it, Instagram it. If at any point you decide it's not for you, return it for a full refund, no questions asked. There's free shipping on any Away order within the lower 48 states. Away's carry-on sizes are always compliant with all major U.S. airlines, and you can maximize the amount you pack. If you're in town, please be sure to visit Away at their retail store in New York City. I've used it. It's a terrific bag. It charges my cell phone, which God knows I need charged at all times. The material is great. It fits in the overhand compartment. It's just a very easy bag to use, and that's what I go for when I'm traveling around the country. All right, I got a special offer for you, too. My listeners get $20 off a suitcase. All you have to do is go to awaytravel.com slash Mannix and use promo code Mannix. That's my last name, M-A-N-N-I-X, during checkout. It's just that simple. So, again, $20 off a suitcase by visiting awaytravel.com slash Mannix and use promo code Mannix during checkout. Even the most ardent critics of LeBron have to admit that... he is under he's under a bigger microscope than any athlete I think in the history of sports yeah. given social media and given how much attention he draws playing the game that he does NBA most visible sport in terms of players no helmets no whatever um and and yet he's almost had I mean we talk about issues with LeBron it's like the decision it's like okay he made a bad choice in how he elected to leave yeah. a market in his 20s other than that there's really nothing I mean it's you have to kind of step back a little and kind of marvel in some ways at how he's sort of been able to navigate unbelievably, uh, uh, an unbelievably tough situation in his career. We know, uh, part of the reason he's so scrutinized is we know him better than we've known any athlete of this time. I mean, we were introduced to him when he was 17. And look, I've never heard him say it, but it's, got to be true he had no idea who he was when he was 17 and people are telling him you've got to be the next michael jordan he's on the cover of sports illustrated as the chosen one he he tattooed that across his back like the name on the back of the jersey and pat riley in one of the first meetings with lebron says you know you ever think about getting rid of that tattoo on your back the expectations like why do you why do you take that on but he did take it on he did not run away from it he took it on and and th- he took a lot of hits because of that. People held him to that standard. And he had to act like he was somebody he wasn't. He had to act like he was the next Michael Jordan before he knew who he was himself. He, before he knew who LeBron James was, he was playing another role. And I think that's why people were so offended early in his career because there was a lack of sincerity there that he was forced into by the marketplace. The marketplace needed the next Jordan. He is a pleaser, as we all know, and he fulfilled that role the best he could before he knew who he was. He goes to Miami, he figures out who he is. He's been himself ever since. He's he's like he's walked away from that Jordan legacy. Jordan would was never able to speak about socially active causes because his job was to put the NBA on the financial footing, give the NBA financial stability. 
he made it possible for the next generation to do the kinds of things LeBron's doing now. But LeBron's been a leader, and he's taking risks by doing that. He's he's hurting his place in the marketplace by by making statements and getting involved in presidential elections and all the rest of it. We know this guy so well from being the prodigy to following on his face to working his way back up again. And so, you know, it's like having somebody in your family. You you can't step back and see the bigger picture. You you find fault with silly little things and little things get under your skin with people in in, in your family and He's kind of part of everybody's family right now, and it's a great place to be, but it's a lot of responsibility, too. All right, let me – I want to circle back to the book in a minute, but let's keep it on LeBron here. And you said you think he gets to the finals. Um, as we speak, it's 2-2 in this uh, series against Indiana. Uh, it very easily could be a series that's over because, you know, Indiana, you look back to game two, they were a Victor Oladipo three from tying it. I thought the Pacers completely blew game four. I mean, they were playing – hero ball at the end of that game two for ten from three-point range in the fourth quarter I mean Ian they were going for daggers like with five minutes left that was I think they if they lose that series they're going to look back and look at that quarter as a big mistake you still have faith though that that this Cavs team is going to get to the finals yeah because of what we're seeing in that Indiana series look the Indiana looked great in the opening games the opening games are so much different than the latter games. And with each game, they become harder to win. There's more pressure on you to do all the little things right. And that's where LeBron James makes a huge difference. There's not a super team in the East right now. There isn't a team that has more than two stars. There isn't a single one that has more than two stars. So, like, if you're looking at a poker table and everybody at at the table, you know, Toronto, uh, Philly, uh, Washington, whoever else you want to list, they all have two of a kind. But Cleveland has LeBron James as one of their two of a kind. That's like having the only ace on the table, and you're going to win all the tiebreakers. You're going to take all the chips home. And so even though this is like a really motley bunch around him and with anybody else you'd say they don't even belong in the playoffs, with him I, I, I think they're going to find a way to get through and every series is going to be hard. Every series is going to go to six or seven. But in those games, you're going to see that you're going to be reminded that he isn't the guy that we were looking at in 2010-11 when he was known for choking, when he had that, that terrible reputation. He's the opposite now. Look, if Michael Jordan was in this position with this team right now, we'd all be saying, don't worry about it. Michael Jordan's going to win the series and he's going to advance. He's going to win the next series. And I think LeBron's at that point now where he deserves the same kind of faith. He does. Um, you're right. You, the, the cast around him, it, it hasn't been this bad since 07. And that's – and the, the way the defense played all season long, they clearly haven't you know flipped that proverbial switch. They're playing better defensively, but I think that's more Indiana struggling offensively than what Cleveland is doing. I, I thought Indiana needed that game four because I think they needed at least three games to close Cleveland out. I think their toughest game is going to be that clincher because most of those guys have never done it. I mean, Oladipo in a role that's new for him. Uh, a lot of young guys getting their first or second taste of, of real playoff experience. But what gives me faith in Cleveland in these later games is, you know, LeBron in game two, he came out just gunning. I mean, he was great in that game too. 46 points overall. 
But Indiana didn't stop playing. Like they kept, like even with LeBron having a great game on his home floor, they didn't really back down. So when this series shifts back to Cleveland, I still think that they're, I think they've got more than half a chance here. I, I think as long as they play more disciplined offensively, and, and Victor Oladipo, shop, stop shooting threes. He's, he's such a great finisher. Stop shooting threes. I don't know. I'm still, I'm still, let's look at this as a toss up type of series. Yeah. Well, it, it might be. It might be, and they might win, but <laughs> you're still buying Cleveland. I'm, I've, I've been covering this league since the '80s, <laughs> and I remember when Larry Bird would play against Indiana in the opening round. Indiana would look like they were going to win with Chuck Person, and it wasn't going to happen. In in hindsight, it wasn't just wasn't going to happen. So we'll we'll see. We'll we'll reconnect in a few days, and and I think we'll be looking at uh, Toronto and LeBron in the next round. That would be interesting because, you know, the Raptors, even though they're going through their own stuff right now, with home court advantage, uh, I'd be real interested in that. All right, the other series I want to talk about with you is Oklahoma City and, and Utah. Oklahoma City now down 3-1 against a Utah team that has exceeded everybody's expectations this year. Coming into the season, no Gordon Hayward. Donovan Mitchell turns into a star. Rudy Gobert, probably the defensive player of the year uh, this year. And now they're up 3-1 on this mini Oklahoma City Super team. Are you, let me ask you this way first. Are you more impressed by Utah or disappointed in what you've seen from Oklahoma City? Wow, that's a great one because um, it's just so disappointing to see Oklahoma City fail to fulfill itself with all that talent and the way they defended this year. And yet it's the same story year after year. And then Utah. To, to bounce back from losing Gordon Hayward because of Donovan Mitchell. I just, I look at the series and just see that Oklahoma City is just playing into Utah's hands. Utah's got that great defense when Rudy Gobert is on the court. They're by far the best defensive team when he's playing. And when they're not moving the ball from side to side and they're not sharing it because of Russell Westbrook, man, that's, that's just making life so much easier for Utah to play defense. The only way to beat that defense is to move the ball and surprise them and, and get shots off before they can react. That's the only way. And it doesn't matter how much talent you have. You can't, unless you have LeBron, you, you, can't, you can't beat them with, with the way Oklahoma City is playing right now. So That's I, why when, when Westbrook said, like, when he was getting into the Rubio matchup, Ridiculous. I'm sitting there thinking, like, Utah's got to love that. Exactly. Like, they want Westbrook to try to win that matchup because if he tries to win it, he's probably not going to win the game. And four fouls in the first half, the last of the four, a charge on Rubio. I mean, that was exactly what uh, Utah wanted to see happen. Westbrook, with that statement, he's like George Foreman going in to fight Muhammad Ali. Oh, okay, yeah, I can punch you in the stomach all day long, punch you in the forearms all day long, and... He's missing the point. He's Yeah, I totally agree. And he's just so stubborn. And do you think he's ever going to get it? He's going to be 30 at the start of next season. Like, at some point, you have to kind of say he is what it is. And, it, and look, it surprises me that he hasn't adjusted because he has to look at this or people around him have to tell him that this is your, your Oklahoma City career, like, in front of you. Because if you bow out... Chances are Paul George leaves at the end of the year, and you go from being a player on a team that's adding to a championship puzzle to one that's like the one he had last year, which is you playing great, but 
you clawing just to make the playoffs. I mean, if that's what he wants, I, I don't know. I mean, I doubt it. I think he's a competitor who wants to win championships. But, you know, we're a full season and half a playoff series in, and we're still talking about the same things with Russ, with him, you know, uh, being overly aggressive, not trusting his teammates enough. It's the same stuff, and that's got to be maddening for the Oklahoma City front office. Oh, it's got to be. And it's got to be it's got to be frustrating when you try every which way as I'm sure they've done to try to help him to see what's in his best interests. They're not asking him to pass the ball and and move the ball and give it up knowing that you'll get a better shot as a result. They're not asking him to do that because it's going to be bad for him. They're asking him to do it they're asking him to do it because it's exactly what he needs to do to to fulfill himself, to be a champion. A guy that talented deserves to win a championship in the NBA. Especially as a point guard, when he has the ball in his hands, he has a chance to dictate the way the game is played, and he has all the skills to do it, except he just goes he just seems to go so fast and he he outplays his mind. He just goes he's like a guy driving a car and he's driving it too fast and he's running into the wall before he knows what happens. I, I would say, too, I say the he's looking at his Oklahoma City career because I'm not entirely convinced he finished his career in Oklahoma City either. Um, I think the Thunder, if they look like they're going nowhere, not next season, next season's fine, but like you go into the summer of 2019 or even 2020 and Russell's still under contract and they're still going nowhere, I think they'd look to move him. I think they'd... I, I don't think they're... And I think it goes both ways too. I mean, I think Russ signed that extension, but I think they both know if it's if it's not looking like they're able to put a championship to contender, they'll do the best thing for both sides, and they will do it quickly. Yeah, it will happen before we know it. They, if they decide to do something, they will do it. They are not uh, a passive organization. When they they do a lot of research, they figure it all out, and they commit to it. They're not like some golfer that's saying, okay, I'm going to hook this drive, and then you stand over it, wait, should I hook it? Should I I be be, uh, playing a slice instead? And they don't know what they're doing. No, they know exactly what they're doing every step of the way. So I I would think if if Paul George leaves, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we're hearing Russell Westbrook rumors right away. Yeah, I I could see those starting up uh, immediately, which would be like, I mean, assuming that happened, I mean, what a, that's like a 30 for 30 Oklahoma City on what they were in 2012 and what they didn't become six years later for all different reasons, of course. I mean, there was a mistake in not, you know, fully maxing out James Harden when his, he was going through those negotiations. Durant, if if you signed Harden back, would that have been enough of a carrot for Durant to stay? I mean, there's so many, there's so many what ifs with that team, but I, I can't think of if they don't win a championship. I can't think of a more disappointing group in the last 20, 25 years of, of pure talent. I mean, that's, you know, three top five players, top six players in today's NBA, throw George into the mix. That's a top 10, 15, 20, however you want to grade Paul George. I mean, that's that, for what they looked like they were going to be in 2012. You can't think of too many bigger disappointments. So many of these uh, young teams in the NBA, how many of them actually go on to fulfill going all the way back to Shaq and Penny. Um, it's just so hard to keep it together. That That's why Philly looks so promising right now. But I'll believe the championship when I see it. And how does Philly 
screw it up some way. Like th- there's a way to screw that up because you can't pay everybody. And at some point these teams, it's why like, and we will get to Boston and Tatum and Brown and all that, but you know, Boston's got a bunch of guys. They can't pay them all down the line. I mean, yeah. the way Terry Rozier has played, he's going to command real money. Marcus Smart, off this offseason, he's going to command real money. Philadelphia and Brian Colangelo are going to be real smart because they can't pay them all. I mean, you already put 150 plus million to Embiid. You know, Ben Simmons will get the same thing. You know, Fultz will come along next year. Sarek is one who want to get paid. I mean, you know, the, it, like the Washington Wizards, like the template for this, right? Like you've, you can't win with just four guys that even if the guys are great you probably can't win with just four guys playing at a high level yeah yeah the vulnerability though for me with philly is is just joel Embiid's body and when you think about all the centers that have had physical problems over the years and he comes into the league with them and all that's invested in him and the stresses that are on his body playing the way he does that that to me is the scariest part of all. How he's such a reliable human being, right? He's so he's exactly what you want as a team leader, but is he reliable physically? And he's got no control over that whatsoever. No one has any control over it. All you have is the history, and the history is not promising. And it's such an intriguing team because there's so much potential, and yet as we, we've done right now, we can talk about all these teams that for one reason or another, they, they fall short. It's so hard to win a championship in the NBA. That's why only half dozen teams or so have done it yeah. <laughs> over the last uh, yeah. last 20 years. Let me ask you about one of those teams, uh, San Antonio, which uh, as we speak, looks like they're going to bow out at some point uh, of the playoffs. Um, you know, we, we have oftentimes thrown dirt on the Spurs' grave, and they rise up from it. Um, this one feels a little bit different. Uh, Tim Duncan is gone. Uh, LaMarcus Aldridge is in his mid-30s, almost in his mid-30s at this point. Uh, and they have the situation with Kawhi Leonard that they have to figure out. W- what's your read on the Kawhi situation? Because it's been a very difficult one for me to kind of pinpoint exactly what's wrong there. I mean, because Kawhi's a very soft-spoken guy, doesn't have a wide circle, the Spurs are pretty tight-lipped on a lot of this stuff. Um, it clearly began with an injury issue, but my big question is, has it expanded beyond that? Has a trust been broken? Has a relationship been fractured? What's your read on Kawhi and the Spurs? Yeah, I'm, I'm just guessing from the outside, but it seems to me there's two areas. There's the medical and there's the social, the relationship, and then there's the medical thing. And if he was not injured... Would any of this be happening? Probably not, right? But clearly there's a difference of medical opinion or training opinion on how to deal with this injury. He's seen his own people now. He's separate from the team. He's sort of not divorced himself, but their parents are separated right now. He's not been around, which is exactly. really surprising to me. For I mean, a team-minded like, guy like that. Yeah, I mean, and, and there's an institutional knowledge. Not that, oh, who knows if it would help, but he's he's defended Durant a lot over the years. Yeah, Maybe you sit behind the bench, coach him up a little bit. I don't know, just be there. That, that to me, was another brick on the pile that says this is irreconcilable. I don't know if it's irreconcilable, but I do know that whenever any of us has a serious medical issue, your own doctor will say, go get a second opinion. Because great doctors can disagree on things. 
And so maybe the Spurs doctors had a point of view and it hasn't worked out. And Kawhi wishes he'd talk to other doctors or he is now because it didn't work out for him. Although when it's your own body and your own career and there's so much money and you put so much time into it, so much effort, it's your, the love of your life and it's taken away from you and you start to fear about your future and all those things come together and someone gave you advice that didn't work out, that's the makings of uh, a splinter of a, of a crevice in the relationship. Now, does it extend to Greg Popovich and Kawhi? I haven't heard any evidence of that. So that that is where I, I wonder if it's irreconcilable because if he still believes in Pop and the feelings are mutual there, then maybe maybe they can learn from what went wrong and fix it and make it so it's right again. It's so hard to get information out of that team, and so we don't really know what's going on, and that's another strength. And he should be very well aware if he leaves that he will never have a relationship like this again in the NBA and he'll never be with a team that that uh, keeps secrets and that, that, that places an emphasis on trust and doesn't play games with the media where they're backstabbing you or leaking stories or any any number of teams he may go to that, that, that would do that to him. He'd, have, he'd see how it is on the other side of the fence. You know, when you've only been in one place one, your whole life, maybe you don't know how bad things are elsewhere. Today's episode of the Yahoo Sports Podcast is also brought to you by Mack Weldon. Guys, let me tell you, Mack Weldon is better than whatever you're wearing right now. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. It will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. They have a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate all the odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it, and they're still going to refund you. No questions asked. Not only does Mack Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform extremely well, too. It's good for working out, going to work, going on dates, just everyday life. I wear a lot of Mack Weldon stuff. It's all in my closet. I wear it out for casual stuff. I wear it out for professional stuff. I buy it online. The website is extremely easy to use. I love the t-shirts. I love the socks. I love everything about the Mack Weldon stuff. Now, here's a special offer for you. My listeners, they get a great deal. Check this out. They get a 20% off their first order by visiting MacWeldon.com and entering the promo code Mannix at checkout. That's MacWeldon.com, promo code Mannix. It's that simple. Trust me, the website, incredibly easy to navigate, and the clothes are fantastic. So go to MacWeldon.com and use the promo code Mannix for 20% off your first order today. One thing I would say is people have tried to make the comparison with LaMarcus Aldridge and how Pop stepped in and they met and that relationship was healed. Um, I don't think it's the same type of thing because, I mean, you've covered LaMarcus a lot. LaMarcus is the kind of guy that you do have to hold his hand a little bit. I mean, he got, you know, he was you know flummoxed by how things ended in Portland largely because, or in part because, how they kind of promoted Damian Lillard as the franchise guy. I mean, LaMarcus really wants to be appreciated. Like, he wants to show him the love a little bit and, and listen to him. And I thought Pop did that. And, and that went a long way towards that. I, I don't get the sense that 
that Kawhi needs that. Like that he's looking for more or a different role or something shifted with him with San Antonio. Maybe it, it turns out different, but it feels like two completely different situations, different rifts uh, that exist there. But, you know, the Spurs have, I mean, their biggest decision is probably going to be, you know, do we offer this guy the five-year Supermax? Because if they do, you, you got to sign it. I mean, that's, if you're a guy who was worried about injury, five years, I think it's $217 million. You take that, you deal with your issues later. You can always, it's the old Carmelo thing. You take the money, you force the trade yeah. uh, a little bit later on. But if they decide not to do that, and if they decide we're going to shop this guy around, do you look at him as being the same kind of trade asset that Anthony Davis was projected to be, you know, many months ago, or are they on different tiers? Both around the same age, mid twenties, uh, both top six players we can say in this league when healthy. Do you look at them similarly, or, or no? I I don't. I don't see Kawhi as being up there with Anthony Davis uh, because of the size. Um, you know, creating your own shot, all those kinds of things. As as great as Kawhi is defensively, Anthony Davis operates on, in a whole different realm. Before it even gets to that point of Kawhi being traded, though, there's a chapter in my book, and it's all about the Spurs, and Popovich spent a, a good amount of time with me going over all this. And back in 2000, when Tim Duncan was something like 24 years old, he was LeBron, 10 years before LeBron. He was the big free agent. He was getting ready to leave San Antonio. He's going to sign with Orlando and Doc Rivers. And he came back to talk with Popovich before he decided what to do. And Popovich goes into a lot of detail, explained to me these heart-to-hearts that they had in Pop's backyard, the two of them. They talked all through the night, night after night, working things out, figuring it out. And... I think, and and then later in his career, during that season, Tim Duncan looked like he was in decline, and Pop tells me, and, and you can see it's heartbreaking for him, about how he's had to be brutally honest with Tim Duncan and say, you aren't the player you used to be, you can't do this and this, we have to put the, uh, push the team in this direction now, we have to go away from you a little bit. That's where Popovich gives the Spurs an advantage here that other teams would have. I think if Kawhi Leonard was on another team, you'd say, yeah, it's irreconcilable. How are they ever going to repair this? But if if Pop still has a relationship with Kawhi that's based on trust and honesty, which is how he's tried to do it with all his players, including LaMarcus Aldridge, then I think they have a chance to do the same kind of thing this summer, to sit down and talk. No agents. That's when Pop said that was a big deal. There was no agents around, no one else. It was just the two of us talking. And Tim Duncan saying, well, how are we going to win a championship? This is back in 2000. How are we going to win a championship? And Pop saying, I don't know, Tim. I don't know how we're going to win. I don't know who we're going to bring in. And he says, well, what about David Robinson? He's getting older. And Pop says, I don't know what we're going to do. I, I mean, you know, when we won the championship last time, did anybody think we were going to win it? I don't know if we're going to win it now, but this is how we're going to try to do it. And and just being honest and talking it through, I think that gives them a chance to to learn from whatever mistakes have been made on both sides. If Kawhi's willing to have that conversation, I I could still see it working out. And then after that conversation, then both sides agree, should we stay together or should we break it up? You know, it won't just be the Spurs, I don't think. I think it'll be both of them together. Kawhi, do you want to be here? Do we want to build with you? Are you going to feel comfortable here? 
look, we, we had these misunderstandings. Can we work them out? If all of that stuff gets figured out first, then you decide what to do with that Supermax contract. And then it becomes obvious what to do. But Kawhi's not reading about it in the paper. He's finding out about it from Pop. That's an interesting point about Duncan because there's so, there's so very few coach slash executives or even coaches or even executives individually that would have that conversation. I mean, nowadays, we read so much about, all right, we're rebuilding, but we're not going to lose. Like, that's like the new thing, which never actually works. No. Um, I can't imagine you know, a coach that's talking to a player that could potentially leave really having the stones to like have, have that frank a conversation with a guy. I mean, that's he's one of, I mean, a handful at most, I feel like, that could that could really have that type of conversation. I mean, that was one of the things I really learned about from working on this book was his point of view and how he builds a team. And Pat Riley, too, and they have a lot in common. And it's about being the same every day. It's about not not um, playing games with people. It's about being consistent and telling the same story all the time and being directed in the same direction all the time and not surprising people, making it so, look, you ask Popovich a question, you ask Pat Riley a question, can we do this, can we do that? you kind of know what the answer is going to be before you ask the question because you know him so well. And if you believe in him, then you think, okay, the answer is going to be based on his view of what's right and what's wrong. This can be a moral aspect to it. It's not a political thing. It's a moral thing. What's right and wrong, what's best for the team, not just for you, Kawhi, not just for you, LeBron, what's best for the whole organization. So it is a team we can win. That that's what I got out of it. I mean, and it's, it was funny at, back then in 2011 when we were talking, when I was talking with Pop, he was talking about how much he looked up to Jerry Sloan and what Jerry Sloan built in Utah and how uh, Jerry Sloan was able to, after Carl Malone and John Stockton were gone, he was rebuilding at that time with Darren Williams. And it was a new era and they looked like they were going to go right back to where they used to be. And And Pop said, you know, when Tim goes, that's what I'd like to try to do. He was telling me back then, you know, there's there's all this conjecture, is Pop going to retire when Tim Duncan retires? And he told me back then, no, I'm, I'm asked, I'd like to see if we can rebuild it again after Tim leaves. And now, Jerry Sloan left abruptly because the, the whole Darren Williams relationship fell apart. The next era was not the same as the previous era. And now there's all this conjecture about Kawhi and Pop, and where is that going to go, and is that relationship going to fall apart? And I think the difference is, what we were talking about before, is the relationship, the relationships that Pop has with his players, and that that could build the whole thing out. That could turn a weakness into a strength still, I think. Along that those lines is, I mean, if Pop really does want to see this thing through to the next level is in some ways trading Kawhi could present that opportunity depending on who he he deals with I mean whether or not he'd fetch the same price that an Anthony Davis would get in a trade he did be a considerable offer that have to be on the table to extract Kawhi Leonard I mean we sit here in Boston and you know I've written this and said this if Kawhi Leonard's available a 617 number is going to pop up on the Spurs call sheet down there to uh, to make an offer, make make an offer on him, 
And I said to someone in the Celtics organization, if that deal ever got done, I would love to write the TikTok on it. Like Danny Ainge and R.C. Buford kind of going back and forth. I mean, that would be a a terrific story. But, you know, if you're Boston and you've seen a lot of them and and the way their young kids are playing this series, if Kawhi's available, how aggressive do you be with all your young talent and assets on the table? We both know Danny really well, and I don't think he's done. He's not done dealing. And he still has, like you've said, he has more players than he can afford to keep. And they are pieces to be used in the trade. You don't develop all these guys and then just let them walk because you can't afford to sign them. You, you congregate them and you use them in the trade to get the great player. Um, I remember seeing Danny in Las Vegas at Summer League in the summer of 27, 2007. And the first round of Kevin Garnett trades had fallen through. He'd already traded for Ray Allen. <clears throat> so this is July. And he made it clear when we were, we were sitting up in the stands watching a game, he made it clear that he was still trying to make something happen. He didn't say Kevin Garnett's name, but clearly that's, he hadn't given up on it. And he said, and the sentence doesn't really make sense, but you know what he's trying to say. He said, you know, there's a lot of quantity in this league, but there's not a lot of quality. So you take the good players to try to get the great player. You can always replenish the good players. You can always find more of them. But the great guys that win championships, there's only those are the guys you have to give up everything to get. Is Kawhi Leonard going to pass the medical test? You know, that's the thing. If teams are starting to trade for him, they're going to want to see all the stuff, all the medical stuff. And are you going to believe in him going forward at 26 that this, and he's already missed a year because of this injury, is this going to bother him the rest of the career? The same kind of talk you hear about Isaiah Thomas at a much lower level, a player obviously, but is he ever going to be the same? Well, you have to ask that. So, and I don't think we can take that for granted that Kawhi's ever going to be quite the same as he was until he shows it. So there's a lot of ifs to it, but Danny, Danny is, I guarantee you, he's looking around for another big trade to, to try to win because as good as they're going to be next year, they're still not going to be good enough to win a championship. It's going to be really, really good team next year if everybody comes back healthy, but it's not going to be good enough to win. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, let me finish with one thing uh, from your book, one character from your book, and that's Dirk Nowitzki, someone that you know you wrote a lot about at, at Sports Illustrated, probably covered him as much as any national writer out there over the years. Uh, with all that extensive knowledge, was there anything about Dirk that you kind of learned in the process of, of reporting? There's something that you didn't know about him before. And along those same lines, I mean, what, what is people wonder about Dirk's legacy in this league a lot. Um, everybody's got an opinion on it. What, what do you think Dirk's legacy is? The thing I learned about him was I always knew he was humble and self-effacing, but I, I didn't realize the depth it went to. He, he had to talk himself into it every step of the way. So he gets drafted in the first, high in the first round by Dallas. Uh, they trade for him, number nine pick. And he doesn't really want to come over because he doesn't believe that he can play in the NBA. He'd rather stay in Europe. He was scared to come over. And then he comes over, and he's really unhappy, and he really is embarrassed his first year, his rookie year. And 
players on the other team are shouting, you know, go at him, he's soft, and all this kind of stuff. And he goes home and works really hard with his mentor, Holger Geschwindner. And he comes back a much better player. But then there's talk, okay, Dirk, is Dirk going to be, is Dirk the best player in the Mavericks? And he, his friend, he'd say to his friends on the team, no, this isn't my team, this is Michael Finley's team. Well, then Michael Finley leaves. Well, this is my team, it's Steve Nash's team. And Steve Nash leaves. Now it's got to be his team, but it really isn't. It's Mark Cuban's team. Mark Cuban's the strongest personality there. And Dirk always, uh, people around the team kind of always felt that Dirk was okay with that. And then during the 2010-11 the season, uh, there was something that happened during a game. Mark was sitting near the bench, and Dirk committed a turnover, and the other team scored, and Cuban's yelling like he does about the mistake and don't do that. And Dirk always wears a mouthpiece, and he's inbounding the ball. And with one hand, he takes a mouthpiece out of his mouth, and with the other hand, he's inbounding the ball, and he yells out, shut the F up at Cuban. And he'd never done anything like that before. And everybody on the bench is kind of looking down at their feet because Cuban's right over there. And they're all saying to themselves, yes, he's turning the corner. He's going to take charge of this. He's going to do it. He's the guy. It was a really, I don't know if Dirk's even aware of how people responded to it, but that's how it was taken. Like, How did Cuban take it? I'm sure he loved it deep down. I mean, he loves that. Yeah, he's he loves people. He, going his at star him. showing that kind of moxie. I can see him frowning publicly, smiling big on the inside. Yeah, yeah, and laughing about it afterwards yeah. with him. Oh, no I doubt. I five him in the locker room. No doubt. No, and then uh, Jason Kidd and and um, Dirk went to Mark before the playoffs that year. And you remember Mark stopped talking. He stopped talking, and uh, Kidd and Dirk went to him and begged him to. Back, back off because they were trying to do something in the playoffs. And then the second round, he stopped talking and he kept going. And I remember uh, before game one of the finals, I went over to sit with Mark. Uh, he was sitting on the team bench before the game while players were warming up. And they're back in Miami where they lost five years earlier in the finals. And Cuban, because he doesn't want to be quoted, he just keeps saying to himself just loud enough for me to hear, Scene of the crime, scene of the crime. You know, it's deja vu all over again. Like, just, he so wanted to talk. This was like his dream come true, and he couldn't because he had promised them he wouldn't, and he saw that it was helping. So that was his big sacrifice. But anyway, in this story, Dirk is, Dirk is the immigrant. Dirk, it's the immigrant story. Look, um, when you when you live overseas like I did for six years, I lived in Paris and London with the International Herald Tribune. It was the world's largest newspaper. I was their sports writer overseas. And you realize people around the world, they don't view uh, the NBA as a commercial league. It's an ideal to them. It's like the Hollywood movies that inspire them. And they see the NBA as a melting pot, people from all over the world gathering together it's a symbol of America. It's a theater of America, the American ideal of the melting pot and people of all colors, cultures, shapes, sizes, all having to work out their differences at full speed for a team, for a larger cause. I mean, that's everything that America stands for. That's how they see it. That's how Dirk saw basketball. 
LeBron had been sort of led astray by all the commercialism. He'd been defined by the decision by a reality TV show. And Dirk was coming in from the opposite. And when Dirk beats LeBron, he forces LeBron to look into his heart and realize all the mistakes he's made. And the next year when LeBron won, when he beat Oklahoma City in 2012 to win his first championship, the first thing he said was, losing to Dirk was the best thing that ever happened to me, losing that finals. And I had to make changes in my life as a player, as a person, and I did. I made those changes. And So if Dirk doesn't make that last stand, if Dirk doesn't win, if he doesn't introduce ideals back into this game that had sort of gone sideways, is the NBA as popular today? If LeBron's still the villain today and he hasn't atoned, is the NBA as popular? Do we have like the best rivalry that we've had since the 80s of Magic and Larry? I, I don't think it is. I, I think when the title of the book says they saved the NBA, I really think they did because it was heading in the wrong direction and they righted the ship. Ian, the book is terrific. Uh, the Soul of Basketball, you can pick it up. Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can also go over to uh, ianthompson.com. He's got uh, links to buy the book there. A lot of other good stuff available on the website. Ian, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. I've known you forever, Chris. Real proud of you. Glad to be with you. Thanks. Thank you, Ian. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one -on -one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.